4, uh, the Apostle Paul is talking to uh, the Corinthian church. We won't go into the details of the Corinthian church, but obviously there was a lot of maturity needed in the Corinthian church. Uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, immature actions and beliefs. And Paul speaks to that throughout these two books. Uh, but look what he says in the, the last part of verse 14, going down through verse 17. But as my beloved sons, I warn you, for though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church." Hold your finger there and let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, way over in the Old Testament, uh, Deuteronomy 6, um, verse uh, 3, and these are instructions to the nation of Israel. And uh, he says, Hear therefore, verse 3, Deuteronomy 6, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that you may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land which floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes." And thou shalt write them upon the post of thine house and of thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. And when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware." lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Father's Day message. Heavenly Father, we come before you today thanking you for your word. We thank you for these two great examples, uh, the Old Testament with the nation of Israel and how you communicated to a nation, household by household, father by father, and then to the church, Lord, in the New Testament where you have Paul communicating to Timothy that we have many instructors but not many fathers. And so, Lord, if there's ever a need in our country today and in our place today, it is for fathers. Help us to be godly fathers. In Jesus' name, we pray. My memories of fatherhood uh, bring forth some odd thoughts. Um, I remember when our son William was born. He was our youngest, and uh, we were so excited to have a son. Uh, we had two daughters. We were excited about them, and, and, and life was great. Then God granted us a son. And uh, he uh, is delivered on a planned delivery. The doctor basically said, I, uh, I'm not going to be here over the weekend, so if you want to have that baby with me being the attendant, here, we're going to plan this thing. So we planned the delivery. And I'll never forget, William is born, comes out, and starts to cry. And the next thing he does is he proceeds to pee all over the doctor. And the doctor is now a member of the United States Congress, by the way. Uh, so Michael Burgess, so occasionally William will be watching C-SPAN and he'll say, I peed on that guy. So <laughs> that's a memory of fatherhood. 
Uh, I remember Katie. Katie was almost born in the car. Uh, we waited. Uh, her father uh, didn't have the sense of urgency that her mother had. And so uh, we finally get to the uh, hospital, and I check her in, and I go back and park the car and get the bags. And I'm thinking, we're going to be here for quite a long time. And uh, by the time I got in, the doctors were like, you better get in there. This thing's about to happen. So uh, that was Katie. But I'll never forget June 16, 1991. Uh, Margie and I had been through a a season of great uh, stress. Uh, We really wanted kids. We really did. We'd been married five, almost six years, and we had uh, infertility issues, and we had a lot of uh, uh, surgeries that Margie had to go through and, and different tests and stuff. And I'll never forget, we get the news that we're pregnant, we're excited, and things are great. And then the, the Marine Corps, uh, to which had a claim uh, on me at that time, uh, they informed me they needed me in a different zip code. And so they sent me over to Saudi Arabia. And I'll never forget the whole time wondering if I was going to see this kid, this firstborn, this brand new baby. Am I going to get home to see that baby? And praise the Lord, we made it all the way back. And, uh, but I'll never forget going into the, to the labor and delivery room, and I'm a young father, you know, about to be proud father, and I don't know what to do. And I just remember that the doctors had told us, you're her cheerleader. You're there to cheerlead and to, so I put, you know, you know, two, four, six, eight, who do we appreciate? I mean, I'm doing the cheerleading thing. We can do this, you know, and uh, breathe, you know, and all this stuff. And finally, my wife put it in, in stark uh, reality. When she looked at me and she said, enough of the cheering. <laughs> she, was, she was in pain. She was ready to be delivered. But after 26 hours, God gave us our daughter, Julie, and she just turned 30 uh, this past week. And, and I don't have many regrets in my life. I really, it's been an incredible journey. We just wish we could have had more kids, but that was in God's plan and he knew best. But what does it mean to be a father? What does it mean to be a father? Uh, a father to a human. That's an obvious one. Uh, this little thing comes into the world and you realize I'm responsible for that. And that thing looks like you and acts like you and it has all of your DNA and your personality and, and even things that you really didn't want to pass down but got passed down, right? These things happen. And so, uh, but we father humans. You can also father an organization. If you've ever started a business or a nonprofit or a ministry or anything, that business has your DNA. I'll never forget when we started Odysseyware, and then after 14 years, uh, we sold that business. That business still had my DNA. If you look through the training manuals or if you look through the sales processes, and it, it had my life, my DNA in that. Uh, and then what about the father of a nation? George Washington had the opportunity to father a nation. And you never know what God has in front of you. But it means to father. It means to bring into being. It means to cause something to live. Uh, maybe, maybe your mission in life right now is to be father to a stray dog. You ever have done that where a stray dog comes into your life and now you're the one to create order? Or maybe it's a, maybe it's a human that's gone astray, Right? Sometimes we have that in our life, humans that need someone to father them. But what does it mean to be a father in 2021? You know, there's a lot of uh, confusion today uh, among some people. and not, Most of the world's not confused about what a man is and what a woman is. Uh, the huge majority is not confused right. at all. But occasionally you get some people that are genuinely confused or choose to be confused uh, by whatever, whatever thing that they do. And so what is a father? And, and, and I think we have to go to the Bible. We have to go back to God's Word and say, what is a father? 
Paul tells this church at Corinth, you got many instructors. you got many people that will give you opinions or they'll teach you or they'll instruct you. But he says you don't have enough fathers. You don't have enough people that can put their arm around you and help you through life. We need that, don't we? We need those fathers who can speak into our life and lovingly help us through things. I think back to the most important instances in my life, and it's been because God sent someone to put their arm around me and encourage me in the right way. The ultimate model out of Scripture is that God is a father, right? My father, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day my daily bread. Forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. And lead me not into temptation. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. God is our Father. It is the ultimate example of what fatherhood is all about. Everything that we know about fathering can be traced back to God. Everything that can be, we know about fathering and bringing into life. He said, let us make man in our own image in the very first chapter of the Bible. Everything is modeled after God being the Father. God also gives us other models throughout Scripture. We have the model of Abraham and Isaac, right? We all remember the, remember the story of Mount Moriah where he says, sacrifice thy son, thy only son Isaac. Test him and he does it. And yet we also know about the covenant because of that relationship, Abraham and Isaac. We also know about David and Solomon, two different, two different men. David was a warrior. David was a fighter. David was the kind of guy that was a, from a physical, raw leadership. He was what we would describe as that, that quintessential uh, uh, male leader. And yet his son Solomon comes along, and he's brilliant in his wisdom and in his thinking. They're two different people, and yet God uses them, and he trains Solomon through David's life to build the temple. It says it is said about David that he was a man after God's own heart. And then it says about Solomon, when we think of the concept of wisdom, he is the first one that comes to mind when we read the book of the Proverbs. One of the things my dad, and I'll pass this along to some of you young men and women, my dad challenged me when I was a young man to memorize the book of Proverbs. And I did that. And it, well, I can't remember it now, but I went back and I memorized the book of Proverbs. And it's a very practical book. It's a book of wisdom. And it's the life of Solomon. We all know the story of Moses and Joshua. you got Moses who is part of Pharaoh's household. And yet God leads him out and, and to lead that nation. And then we remember Joshua's life at the end of Joshua 24 and verse 14, where Joshua, the junior leader, after Moses has passed, Joshua stands before all of Israel, and he said, Choose you this day who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's godly leadership. Then we give in the New Testament example of Paul and Timothy, and it's mentioned here in our passage. He says, I'm going to send Timotheus to you. We have the books of 1 and 2 Timothy, which are incredible mentoring, coaching books. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, Paul tells Timothy, he says, The things that I've taught you teach others who will be able to teach others also. In other words, Timothy, I've been a father to you. Now you go be a father to someone else who will be a father to someone else. You and I sit here this morning 
because the Apostle Paul, geographically, because he went all over Asia, it may have been another one of the apostles who got the gospel out, but whatever the case is, the Apostle Paul got the gospel to someone, and he fathered someone in the gospel, who fathered someone else in the gospel, who fathered someone else, who fathered someone else, who fathered someone else, who fathered you in the gospel. It was because someone had a purpose and a plan, and they went out to be a father. Now, as, we got, uh, as our children got older, uh, fatherhood took a little bit of a different uh, take. I'll never forget our youngest son, uh, William, our youngest child, William, while Margie and I are having a discussion one day. You couples, married couples, y'all ever have discussions, right? Heated discussions. And we're having a discussion. And so we, I thought it was inappropriate for our son, a little toddler, to be in the room at the time. And so I said, hey, son, why don't you go in yonder and let mom and I are talking? Well, he goes, I shut the door, and Margie and I commenced to picking up our dialogue. By the way, I always lost, right? That's what you get, that's what you get for marrying somebody smarter than yourself, right? My dad, my dad tells people, he says he's found the secret to a long marriage. The secret to a long marriage is he always gets in the last word. He always ends every conversation with, yes, ma'am, whatever you want, right? That's how the conversation ends. But William goes out. We're having our dialogue. We're picking up our discussion. And all of a sudden, I hear as noisy as a four-year-old could make on a door. And I open it up, and it's William standing there. And he says, Daddy, which yonder? <laughs> I just told him to go yonder. I said, go in yonder. And he was like, which yonder? You know, like there was 47 of them. You know what I mean? So I... Uh, Fathering, you grow, you know, you're teaching kids. I'll never forget a moment that I, in my fatherly exuberance, I thought I would encourage competition with my two oldest daughters. They had just learned to ride the bicycle. We lived in Austin, Texas at the time. And I encouraged them to race each other around the block. And so they did. What I didn't take into consideration is how competitive this would get. And so my middle daughter, Katie, I'll never forget, they go around the first loop, the second loop, they're coming around third, they're coming around home, and all of a sudden, Katie stands up on her bicycle and just starts to pump as hard as she can to get around to get that corner. Well, she hadn't successfully navigated turning skills yet. And I'll never forget watching my 12 or 13-year-old daughter just go flying right over the handlebars and just skid right on the pavement about three or four times, you know. And I'm like, their mother was out of town, and I was like, I've killed our daughter. I have killed our daughter, right? I learned a valuable lesson that day, and that is the kids are very competitive. And the one that you don't know is competitive is probably the most competitive one. So I learned some valuable lessons uh, from that. I, I watched Julie bravely have to go through some spinal taps and all the medications and things she had to deal with in battling with the, with the uh, brain tumor that she has uh, in her brain. As a father, it was tough. There were times that I was like, God, I need, you know, I need you to show up. Father, if you don't show up today, there's going to be a mess on aisle three, right? You guys have had those times. And God is our father. I watch the kids play sports. I watch them graduate. And now they have jobs. This is an incredible thing, guys, when your kids are gainfully employed. This is, a, this is an incredible journey, right? Sometimes they're in and out of work, but that's okay. But seeing them grow, and it makes me realize that fathering never stops. Once you're a father, you're always a father. And you've got to step up to the plate and own that. 
every moment is a teachable moment. Even at 58 now, I look and I see that I, I have, my relationship to my children is different than it was when I was having them fight each other around with a bicycle and almost kill each other. My relationship has changed, but I'm still a father. And I'm still trying to say that thing or ask that question or look at the situation. And if nothing else, take it to God. Amen? God cares. Every moment is a teachable moment. You know, old men can father. Abraham, we have the story of him at 100 years old uh, giving birth to Isaac. Uh, but for us old guys, there's nothing that prevents us from starting a business, to, be, to go into painting, to write, to create music. You know, it's a good thing for kids to see their elders creating. It's a good thing for them to see them still in the game, doing things to honor the Lord doing things with their talents and their abilities. So here's the summary of what I want to share today. Three points uh, to remember. Number one, men, we should seek to be a father. It shouldn't be something we run away from. It's something we should endeavor and seek to do. In Genesis, we're given the command, be fruitful and multiply. Go out and replenish. Take dominion. That's our command. That command has not gone away. Just because Adam is no longer here, we still have that responsibility. Frankly, our society has a lot of orphans today. And it's going to get potentially even worse as people get away from the principles of Scripture. Society is going to need fathers to be fathers. It's going to need godly men like you to step up and to lead the way. Our world is flattening, uh, which means that the traditional models uh, for life and society are breaking. I would encourage us men, keep building. If things aren't working, keep building. Keep being creative. Keep honoring the Lord. Keep fathering. The second thing that I think Scripture would tell us is bring, to bring this world under God's control. That is still our mandate as a father we are to bring our part of the universe under God's control. There is not a square inch, Abraham Kuyper said. There's not a square inch of this universe that does not belong to God. Um, how can you do that? I, I look at your world and look at the conversations and the relationships that you have where there's disorder, where there's people that need fathering, be the father. Love them enough to be a father in their life. And then the last thing I would say is this, is for us fathers is to build bridges. To build bridges. Not build walls, build bridges. For future travelers. Because there are people who are coming behind us. There are people who see us. People that we don't even know have their eyes on us. And we ought to build bridges. Bridges. Uh, Margie and I love documentaries, and so uh, this is in our season of life we love, and we just went through an audio book documentary or thing about the building of the Brooklyn Bridge. And for those that don't know, uh, John Roebling uh, was a general uh, in the Civil War, 
and he's built a bridge in, the, in Pennsylvania to, to create a big span over a, a big two hills to, so a train could get across. And they hired him to build the Brooklyn Bridge, which was at the time and still is the largest suspension uh, bridge. It was an incredible uh, feat of, of engineering, how they built this bridge. It's just incredible. Four days before the building was to begin, he passes away. Four days. He goes through all this architecture, hiring, developing, everything, and four days, it falls apart because he passes. But then his son, Washington Roebling, was tasked to step into the dad's role. And his son, Washington Roebling, built the Brooklyn Bridge on four days' notice. But his dad had laid all of that groundwork. His dad had laid all that planning. He could just go back and see what his dad had done. And he went in and built the, uh, the Brooklyn Bridge. By the way, Washington fought at the Battle of Gettysburg. While his dad was a general, Washington also fought. And their grandson, Donald Roebling, Roebling became an entrepreneur who took over the family business in the 1920s and 30s. And he actually created the Amtrak. For those of you who are familiar with World War II technology and World War II uh, battlefield engineering, it was he, Washington Roebling's grandson that created that. So he fathered. There is a founder in American history that we don't hear a lot about today, but he has had an incredible influence on this country. And the man's name was Jonathan Edwards. Now, Jonathan Edwards was a son of Dr. Timothy Edwards. He grew up in academia, came to Christ. He was an incredible force for this country, for the Great Awakening. In 1740, you had George Whitfield and, the, and, and John and Charles Wesley going up and down Appalachia. My kinfolk listened to them preach in the 1740s, up and down Appalachia, heard the gospel, changed a lot of people's lives, founded churches all up and down that area. It was incredible. About 20, 30 years later, along comes Jonathan Edwards, and Jonathan starts to put into place academics and starts to put institutions in place. And today, even though they've gone far from God, Yale University and Rutgers University are here because of the efforts of Dr. Jonathan Edwards. He wrote this sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to read it. It will put the fear of God in you, and that's good. That's a good thing. Don't, don't, sh- don't shy away, fathers, from uncomfortable news. Don't shy away from tough things. Amen? Our kids need to see us engage. And he wrote Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He also wrote the autobiography called The Life of David Brainerd. If you haven't read that, that's a, that is one of the treasures of American early history. Uh, he did very well in marrying. He married a Sarah Pierpont. Now, that may not mean anything to you until you have heard about John Pierpont Morgan, J.P. Morgan. And so that family, they were doing okay. So, Jonathan, so you got two of the scion families of this country that come together, and God uses them. Here's what I want to tell you. They did a study about 30 years ago about the life of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards, and they tracked their descendants, 1,394 descendants. That's a big study. Out of that, they found a vice president, Aaron Burr was his grandson, three senators, three mayors, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, 65 professors, 100 lawyers, 
60 doctors, 75 military officers, 100 preachers and missionaries, and 60 prominent authors. Here's a man who fathered well. And I want to encourage all of us in here today, fathers, wherever station we're at in life, whatever season we are, God is our Father, and He wants to father through us. Amen? He wants us to impact. We don't know how long we got. I probably don't have time for 1,394 ancestors or descendants before Christ returns. But I need to do my best to father well. And you know what fathers do? They build bridges. When I was in college 112 years ago, uh, we were required to memorize a poem and to quote the poem. And I've since forgotten the poem, as happens. So I'm going to read it to you this morning as I wrap up. We need to build bridges. And the title of this poem is The Bridge Builder. An old man going a lone highway came at the evening cold and gray to a chasm vast and deep and wide through which was flowing a swollen tide. The old man crossed in the twilight dim. The sullen stream had no fear for him. But he turned when safe on the other side and built a bridge to span the tide. Old man, said a fellow pilgrim near, you're wasting your strength with building here. Your journey will end with the ending day. You never again will pass this way. You've crossed the chasm deep and wide. Why build this bridge at evening tide? The builder lifted his old gray head. Good friend, in the path I've come, he said, there followed after me today a youth whose feet must pass this way. This chasm that has been as naught to me, to that fair-haired youth might a pitfall be. He too must cross in the twilight dim. Good friend, I'm building this bridge for him. God is our Father, and He wants us to be good fathers. Amen? Happy Father's Day. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father.